0: Okay, uh, turn with me in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, and I want to encourage you to take notes tonight, write down thoughts, questions, write down the scriptures that i'm going to reference. Um, if you don't have a notepad and a pen, do it on your device uh, i'm going to move through five passages tonight and um, and then we'll do a q and a and And so we're going to talk about the rapture and the second coming. I want to give just a little bit of my own personal journey as it relates to understanding end times. Uh, I grew up in um, uh, the charismatic church. I grew up watching Bible teachers. I remember when TBN, when I found out that that was a thing, I used to just turn that on and just watch it just nonstop as a 19, 20-year-old. Uh, you know 21 years old just watching it constantly and I was always mesmerized because there was a few teachers that would get on there and they would quote so many Bible passages at you you just I mean you could barely catch all of them you know I mean just they're flying at you every direction and and you just assume that everything these guys are saying has got to be true because they're quoting so many passages at you and um, and I remember there were several that were specifically end times teachers that's all they taught And on so many scriptures, I thought, man, these guys have got to be right, because who knows that many Bible passages? And so I just took it, you know, on the basis of their knowledge that it had to be true. I never even checked the Bible passages they were quoting. They we just throw all these Bible verses at you, and there's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. I mean, we're standing right now. They're just, you know, Romans, uh, you know, I mean, Revelation chapter 6, you know, and they just go through it all, and I'll be like, whoa, 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 and think, wow, they know so much word. It has to be true. And then I remember as a, uh, I, I, as a young man in ministry, I got into ministry, and I decided one time I was going to preach. On end times, I want. I was a youth pastor for years. I wanted to preach on end times, and so I didn't. I had never studied any passages, and I just had those Bible teachers on TV. And so I figured, well, what these guys said, it must be true. And so I pieced together a few scriptures with kind of the stuff that I'd learned from, you know, watching uh, Christian television. And I remember I preached this message, and uh, I remember the first time I preached this message, and this is when my youth group was a little bit unruly but I literally had students standing up and heckling me while I was preaching. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's not fun. It's not a fun thing. Don't do it to me tonight. I won't like it. <laughs> Just heckle me later in the hallway privately. But, uh, and, and so I, what they were doing was they were challenging me on the things that I was preaching. And, and here was the challenge. I hadn't studied enough to even know if what I was saying was legit or not, because most of it I'd gotten from what the guy said on TV. And, you know, there was a few movies. Let's just be honest. I watched a few few end times movies. I had a couple Bible teachers. I had three verses that I crammed together. And I'm going to preach on the end times. And I'm telling you, these teenagers, you know, something about teenagers is they're not easily fooled. They can tell when you don't know what you're talking about, and they opened fire on me. And so after that, I was a little disillusioned, didn't want to preach on end times anymore. And I, you know, I progressed as a minister, and, and I decided later, you know, I, I don't really know anything about the end times, but I, I remember thinking, I, I, this whole thing is going to pan out. I mean, who really cares? how the end of the story goes, because, you know, we got to live for Jesus. We got to win souls. That's kind of where I just landed, and I just didn't care about it anymore. And I remember one fateful day, I was up preaching, and I said this sentence out of my mouth. I said, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I don't care what it is. I'm pan-trib, because it's all going to pan out. I said that sentence publicly to my youth group. And when I said it, I haven't had this happen to me many times. It's happened to me several times, but not many. The Holy Spirit spoke loudly to my spirit right when I said that phrase. I said, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, I don't really care. It's all going to pan out. I'm pan-trib. And the Holy Spirit speaks right to my spirit, and he says, don't say that. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I've had it a couple times. While I'm preaching, <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you all the ugly of preaching right now, getting heckled, Holy Spirit rebuking you while you're preaching, but I literally have had that a few times, not a bunch, thank God that he does it later often, but in that moment, he said it right to me in the moment, don't say that, that's irresponsible, that's what he said, that's irresponsible, and I remember praying through it later, he says, he says, never say that to a group I've given you stewardship to teach the word of God to. And I was, I mean, I was rattled. And so I knew from that moment forward I couldn't be flippant about it. Well, that compelled me into lots and lots and lots of study. I mean, that's all you need is the Holy Ghost to grab you by the spirit one time and rattle you. And, and you'll be like, okay, yes, sir, yes, sir. I'm gonna get this straight. And it put me into, I mean, just a, 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 A really energized and compelling desire to understand what does the Bible say about the end times. And this, I mean, this is what I found out. I found out that there are literally over a hundred chapters. I mean, some some have it as many as 150. I think it's, it's in that neighborhood, 100 to 150 chapters in the Bible that specifically speak about the end of this age, the second coming of the Lord, or the age to come. 150 chapters. When I looked at the New Testament, I found this, that the number one most compelling argument that Paul uses to handle pastoral issues is in light of the day of the Lord, in light of the end of the age and the coming of the Lord. And then he will instruct pastorally. And I thought, you know what? This is far more significant, far more serious, and, and, and it's far more important than I ever give it credit to, so I need to go, go into this. So I began to study. Well, here's what my studies begin to show me, that you can't get your eschatology from a movie, and you can't take people's word for it because they're throwing a ton of verses at you. I could throw a ton of Bible passages at you and tell you that's what they say, but if you don't go look them up yourself, hey, that's bad on you. You need to go check it out. In fact, I'm going to take us through five passages of Scripture tonight. I'm wanting you to write them down. I want you to go look at them, read them later, cross-reference them, challenge the things that I'm going to say tonight. But what I'm going to primarily try to do tonight is allow the Scripture just to speak for itself. I'm gonna give you some interpretive clues, uh, clues but I'm gonna to try to allow the scripture to speak for itself. Because here's what I found when I went to study what the scripture said, I went on the end times, I went, okay, I'm gonna study the rapture. I'm going to get this thing straight, the thing that the Lord corrected me. i want to get this really clear. And I studied all sorts of views of the end times. I studied groups that, you know, views that say there is no rapture at all. I studied uh, groups that say it is pre-tribulation. I studied groups that say it's post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, pre-wrath. I studied more versions of the rapture than you want to know about. And what I had to come to grips with was I'm not going to be able to understand what the Bible says by somebody else telling me about it. I'm going to actually have to let the Bible tell me about it. Amen. And so when I came to the passages on the second coming and on the rapture, I realized they were saying something to me very different than what I had been taught and what I would understood, what the movie told me. And so I want to I propose to you uh, what I feel like the Bible says, but I think it's pretty clear when you look at the scripture. I want to walk us through five passages. Now, if you come from my background, if you come from believing that the rapture happens prior to the tribulation, you're going to probably hear something new tonight because I don't believe that. I don't believe the rapture happens before the tribulation. Um, I think the Bible is really, really clear as to when the rapture does happen. And I think it shows us in light of the tribulation when it's going to happen. But I want to, give you two, I want to give you the passages and then allow the scripture to speak for itself. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll just look at verse 13. Yeah, bless you. All of those sneezes. I love the person that's osmosis over here is saying bless you to the person all the way up here in this corner. All right, here we go. He says, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's those who have, who have died. Talking specifically about believers. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him, that's Jesus. Even so, God will bring with Jesus those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, if Jesus died and rose again, the Christians who have died are going to rise again. And he actually says that God is going to bring them, those that have died and rose again, are going to bring them with Jesus. So he's talking about when Jesus comes, and this is what he's going to tell us. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed or go before those who are asleep or those who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Before I get into teaching this, I just, you just got it. That passage is so cool. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall be caught up in the air. All those dreams that you've had about flying, they're all going to come true. Hallelujah. You're going to be caught. If you're alive, when the Lord returns, you're going to be caught up in the air. You're going you're to blast off. Oh, I can't wait. I, I really, really hope I'm alive. I, I, wanna, I want flight. I want to feel that. I want to feel blasting off. Caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, this passage is one of the key passages that discusses the rapture or the catching away. And I want to I give us a couple components out of this passage, and I want to move over to Second Thessalonians 2. First, I want to uh, point this out. In verse 15... When Paul is describing this issue of the rapture, he uses this term, the coming of the Lord. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. That word coming is the parousia. That's a Greek word. It means parousia. I mean, it's a Greek word that, uh, that's it's parousia. It means the coming of the and the remaining of the Lord. It's talking about Jesus' return. It's the word that's used throughout the New Testament about 25 times about when Jesus returns. When Jesus describes it in Matthew 24, which we'll look at in just a minute, he'll talk about his coming. It's this word, parousia. It's the word that we understand when the Lord's talking about his coming. He's going to come and he's going to remain. That's what it means, coming and remaining. So Paul, when he's describing the coming, the first thing that stuck out to me was he thought that he could be here when the Lord comes. Now, I had always been taught that believers were going to be taken up before the second coming. But Paul was really clear, we who are alive and remain until the coming. I went. I mean, that first thought to me was like, oh, my goodness. Well, well, well that, that's not what the movie says. I seriously, it threw me off. I go, this, can't, this is not how the movie does it. "We were alive and remain until the coming will by no means precede those who are asleep." And then he's going to verse 16. He's going to describe what happens in the coming. In his second coming, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. That's amazing to me, because he's actually speaking to the Thessalonians. He's going, hey, the guys that are sleeping in Jesus, the guys that have died in Jesus, they're actually going to get up out of the ground. Now, what's, what's fantastic is this. If you die right now, your body goes in the ground, your soul and your spirit goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Your body goes in the ground. Your soul and your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Verse 14, he says, God will have Jesus bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The soul and the spirit of those who have died in Christ, when Jesus comes, they're coming back, the soul and the spirit. But here's the thing. Their bodies are going to get up out of the ground. Yeah, I know. Because that's pretty intense when you think about it. You have to do the math on this just a little bit. The physical bodies are getting up out of the ground. The soul and the spirit are coming back with the Lord, and those things are going to reconnect. I like to, I know, I like to say it this way. The dead body is going to get reconstituted, and it's going to blast off. And the soul and the spirit are going to come and connect, reconnect with that dead body. You're going to get back in your body. Now, you don't get the old dead body. In a minute, we'll see it. 1 Corinthians 15 is going to show us. We're going to get a better body. Hallelujah. My body, I'm believing it's going to crest six feet tall. And we all get a six-pack abs. Hallelujah. I believe it. But so the dead rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up. Now that caught up, that's a a Greek word, harpazo, harpazo. It's, It's the word that's used for rapture. There's a fourth century version of the Bible that's written in Latin. It's called the Latin Vulgate. That word in Latin is raptus. It's where we get the English word rapture. Harpazo is the Greek, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O, Harpazo. Caught up, it literally means snatched away. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. I love it. Caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, without anybody explaining to me anything about this, I read this, and I said, huh, at the second coming, Jesus is going to descend with the voice of an archangel, a trumpet sound. The dead are going to come out of the graves, and then we who are alive and remain are going to get caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And we'll always be with the Lord from that point forward. That seems so, so clear to me. And, and so here's the, the challenge. Then I had to figure out, well, when is the Lord coming? Because I had him coming at the end of the, what's known as the tribulation. I had him coming at sort of the end of the last seven years of this age. And, and this is so, so clear that we who are alive and remain until the coming, those who are alive are going to get caught up at the resurrection of the dead. We're going to meet the Lord at the same time. Now, as you're reading this, can you see that the coming and the catching up are happening together? Am, am I adding anything to that? Does that make sense? Not all together. Okay, we good? You want me to teach it again? You want me to shut up? You want to heckle me? All right, no. No, I, I mean, to me, I was shocked when I saw that. I go, wait. So the catching up and the coming happen at the same time. Huh. That's an important part. And then we get a few details. This trumpet is going to blow. This angel is going to give voice. There's going to be this shout from heaven. The Lord himself is coming. Okay. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll always be with the Lord. All right. That's our first passage on the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13-17, 18, however you want to look at it. All right. Flip over a couple pages. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now here's what we have going on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's the second letter to the same church in Thessalonica. And what was going on in the uh, first century was there were these teachers that were teaching false things that Paul was going to, he had to actually write letters to correct that sometimes. So a lot of times you see Paul correcting some of the, the false things. One of the false things that was being circulated was that the resurrection slash the rapture had already happened. And the saints were they were worried about that. And, and secondly, what you kind of you'll get in the context here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that Paul had to give more clarity. Did y'all hear that? There's an angel walking around on the back of the stage? One of your guys? So he had to give more clarity to the what he had just explained to them in their his first letter, because they were a little concerned by what he said. So you have these false teachers teaching the resurrection already happened, and then you have Paul's letter explaining it, and, and there was a little bit of confusion going on, so what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna give now more clarity on the same topic writing to the same church. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, if you're with me, say yeah. He says, Now brethren, concerning the coming, that's the Perusia." that's the coming and the remaining of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together. He uses a different term here, but it's the same concept, just exactly what he's just talked about in First Thessalonians 4, the coming and the catching up or our gathering to Jesus, our gathering to him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by a spirit or by a word or by a letter as if from us. He's talking about his own letter, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, it's interesting because he says, the coming of our Lord Jesus our gathering together to him, and he he uses this other phrase, the day of Christ, or the day of the Lord, and he uses them all interchangeably. So he's again identifying that these things happen in sync with one another. The coming, the gathering to the Lord, which is the day of the Lord, it all happens together. And then in verse 3, he says this, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. And now he's going to give us two specific timing indicators that are going to tell us what has to happen first before the coming of the Lord and our gathering to him. That day will not come unless... The falling away comes first, and secondly, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In verse 5, he says, "'Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things?' What you'll find when you look at Acts chapter 17 is that when Paul was first with the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he, uh, he was with them for three weeks. And in three weeks, he'd explain the gospel He'd explain the second coming, and he'd explain the details of the Lord's return, even to explaining the rise of Antichrist and what's known as the great falling away or the apostasy. He'd explain all that detail. He's actually now just explaining it to them and reminding them of what he'd already taught them. Do you not remember when I was with you? I already told you these things. What's interesting to me is that Paul thought it was important enough, end times, and the study of Jesus' return was important enough to actually, within the first three weeks of this new church being planted, to begin to break these things down for them. All right. So we have these two things that he puts in as timing indicators. He says there has to be a falling away first, And secondly, the man of sin, the son of perdition, has to be revealed. And then in verse 4, he describes that this man of sin is going to be revealed when he sits as God in the temple of God, expressing himself that he is God. Now that action, Jesus refers to that action of this, this man going into the temple and declaring himself to be God. Jesus refers to that in Matthew 24, verse 15. It's called the abomination of desolation. And Daniel, in Daniel 9, verse 27, now I'm giving you the passages to look them up on your own, really look them up. He explains that exact action. This, this abomination where this human being is going to say, I am God, and he's going to go into the temple of God and declare to the world that he is God. Now what Paul's telling us is that that, has to happen before the Lord returns, before the second coming, before our gathering to him. And then he also says that there's going to be a great falling away. Now that word for falling away, the Greek word is apostasia. It literally means a departure from the faith. Another time when it's used in the New Testament, it's used talking about the Jews departing from the law of Moses, completely turning their back on the law. It's it's there's there's not really any guesswork about it. It's about people turning away from serving Jesus, and so he's giving us these two really negative things that are going to happen that have to happen before uh, we're caught up with the Lord and before the Lord comes, this falling away and the revealing of Antichrist. Now, beloved, here's the thing. When you look in the earth and you see right now the number of falsehoods that have gotten themselves into the church, where all of a sudden there's massive, massive strands of Christianity that are They are uh, compromising on foundational truths of uh, Christian doctrine. Uh, What you're seeing is the beginnings of a full scale uh, falling away from the faith. We have um, a major, major movement in the body of Christ that is saying that hell is not real, that there is no eternal punishment for those that reject Jesus. everyone gets saved. Well, for decades people have kind of been preaching everybody into heaven at funerals. Just think about that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been at the funeral and it's been a very very horrifying situation. The person clearly did not know the Lord and everybody's walking around trying to comfort themselves saying, "Well, he's in a better place." And I'm and I'm and I'm sitting there grieving going, "Not, not if he didn't know Jesus." He's not uh, in a better place. And I've seen pastors stand up and preach people into heaven that there's no way that they were born again And, and, and everybody in their whole life knew it. Well, that kind of small compromise has now turned into massive compromise and entire denominations erasing the concept of hell, that hell doesn't exist, that it's not really eternal punishment, that it's just for a moment that people can get out of hell and all these things. Well, here's what you find. When they erase the idea of uh, eternal redemption and eternal retribution, when they erase that idea, all of a sudden they start compromising on so many other doctrines in Christianity. And so, until now, we're, we have entire denominations that are uh, affirming uh, sexual sin as normative, affirming homosexual lifestyles, and even ordaining homosexual pastors in denominations that were born out of revival environments of full-on gospel preaching. We're seeing the beginnings of it, but I want to tell you something. It's nothing compared to what the book of Revelation describes, because there's a day coming, hear me very clearly, there's a day coming when the economies of the earth are going to be subject to one singular uh, world government, and that world government will be led by Antichrist. And that man, Antichrist, will be demonized at the highest level, and he will require worship. He will require the nations to worship him. And if, if you do not worship this man, he will have control of all the economic systems. He will shut down the economies. You will not be able to buy or sell. Revelation 13 is really, really clear on this point. You will not be able to buy or sell without worshiping this man, and you have to worship him by taking this mark, either on your hand or on your forehead. That's really, really clear in the scripture, and I'm just telling you, if you have some kind of thin, half-baked, believism style Christianity, in the moment when pressure comes on at that level, it will be so, so easy to capitulate your faith. It will be easy to capsize. And what we're seeing right now amongst minor league societal pressure with entire denominations flipping, we're going to see in mass when the economies of the world, when the threat of death, when, when real political and, and, and military power is being exerted by a man who is possessed by Satan, is influencing the entire earth, we will see masses turn away from Jesus and, and, and gives allegiance to this man all because they want to make sure they can get their, their finances. They want to make sure they can buy their food. And I'm telling you, I know that sounds like well, that is in that movie that one time. But I'm telling you, the Bible is so clear on this point that there is real persecution coming to the, the people of God. And this apostasy that he describes in 2 Thessalonians 2 this massive falling away. It's not going to be low grade. It's not going to be a little bit. It will be enough of a sign for the whole earth to see it, to recognize there is a massive group that has left the faith as a signpost that we are getting near the time of the second coming. It's going to be one of the key points. Well, I believe this, that there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the same time. There's going to be an outpouring of the glory of God, seeing many, many swept into the kingdom. At the same time, there's going to be the rage of Satan being poured out, and many will capitulate. They will capsize their faith. They will apostatize. So at the same time that there's a major harvest, there's also going to be a major apostasy. It's going to be the most dramatic time the earth has ever seen. Well, Paul makes this one of the clear indicators that has to happen prior to our gathering to the Lord and his coming. The falling away and the revealing of Antichrist. Now, I, I don't have time to go through all the passages tonight, but when you, when you talk about the revealing of Antichrist, what Jesus talked about in Matthew twenty four fifteen, what Daniel 9, talks about, when, when we're talking about the revealing of Antichrist, Revelation 6, also the first seal, shows us this one that's coming, conquering and to conquer. Uh, that is happening, I mean, th- with three and a half years left in this age. It's, it's very much towards the, the, the back part of the, the last seven years. It's at the midpoint of the, the last seven years. And, and all I'm doing is pointing that out for this reason, that the rapture has to happen after that, according to Paul. Our gathering to Jesus and his coming has to happen after the revealing of Antichrist and after that great apostasy. All right, Matthew 24, let's flip on over there. Are you still with me? Matthew 24, we're going to look at now what Jesus said. And then I'm going to reference 1 Corinthians 15 and then reference Revelation 20. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get into, uh, we'll pray for a moment and then we'll get into our time of Q&A. So Matthew 24, and I'd like you to write down Luke 21 and Mark 13, because those are the other gospels that have this exact same teaching at the exact same time from Jesus. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24. So in Matthew 24, I preached on it uh, a few weeks back on Sunday. I talked about the signs that Jesus called the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pangs. They're the signs that happen in the earth prior to the tribulation. They're the signs that show us that we're nearing that time of the greatest crisis the earth has ever seen. Well, what happens in Matthew 24, as, after he gives us those signs in uh, verses 4 through 8, in verse 9, he then says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. He's talking about the great tribulation because in a moment, he's going to say, it will be the greatest time of tribulation the earth has ever seen. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, if I get my eschatology from the movie, there should be another verse between verse eight and verse nine where it says, I am raptured out of here before anything bad will happen. But it does not say that. He gives us the signs that tells us the, when the end is coming, when the, he, the end is near, he says, these, these things all must have to happen, but the end is not yet. And then in verse nine, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And I've seen commentators play games with who the you is in this passage, but the you he's clearly speaking to are his disciples. Well, somebody would say that's the Jews only. Well, no, his disciples are all going to be born again, the leaders of the church. This is to the church. This is so that believers can know the signs of the end. They will deliver you up to tribulation. They will hate you. They will kill you. Beloved, I'm telling you, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me. There is a time coming where the whole earth will be aligned against Christianity. You think that couldn't be. And it's because you're in America. America. It's because you're in America. You have no grid for this. Just ask our 125,000 brothers and sisters who are right now in North Korean concentration camps what the price is for serving Jesus. And this is what actually, and this isn't Bible, I'm just gonna just take a little momentary rabbit trail, but this is what actually got my attention years ago when I began to study this Because I had been told I was going to get out of here before anything bad had happened, that we're going to get raptured out of here before there's any tribulation, before there's any martyrdom. And I realized that story doesn't work for our own brothers and sisters who are in closed nations. They're being put to death in northern Nigeria. They're being put to death in the Horn of Africa. They're being imprisoned and put to death in in, in North Korea. They've been uh, put to death and they've been put in prison in China and in so many other nations. And then just a few years ago when we saw ISIS get flared up, what would we see? They would be parading Christians out in front of everyone and these guys under an antichrist spirit beheading Christians for the whole world to see. How can you rightly tell our own brothers and sisters that no bad things are going to happen? No tribulation is going to happen to you because you're going to get caught up out of here before anything bad happens. That is a Western American mentality and doctrine. Now listen, I'm not mad about it. There's really good people who I really honor and love and respect that believe and teach that. I'm not here to pick a fight, but I'm here to tell you that there's a different version of Christianity that the Bible gives us. And here's Jesus from his own mouth telling the leadership team of the church, they will deliver you up to tribulation. All the nations of the earth will hate you and they will kill you for my name's sake. And then he goes on and explains false prophets and lawlessness. The love of many will grow cold. That verse 12, the love of many will grow cold. There's your apostasy. Because when he's talking about the love of many growing cold, he's referring to believers. But he who endures shall be saved. And the gospel will be preached. At the same time, all this bad stuff is going on, this tribulation is going on, the gospel will gain penetration throughout every single nation of the earth. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the earth and every nation as a witness and then the end shall come. Verse 15, he's gonna talk to us about the abomination of desolation and the impact it's gonna have on, on Judea. Verse 21, he says, then there will be great tribulation such as not such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Some people say, well, see, this was all fulfilled in the first century. And I go, well, you would have to say that the first century tribulation that was localized around Judea was worse than, say, World War II. 12 million Jews worldwide put to death. And clearly, We've seen greater tribulations since the first century. But what Jesus is pointing to is a tribulation that is the greatest that the earth has ever seen. A time of persecution, a time of martyrdom that the earth, the greater than the earth has ever seen. It's still yet to come. And his instruction to the believers is that they're going to be there in it and they need to endure. And I believe we've done a massive disservice by telling American and Western Christians, you have nothing to worry about. We're all going to get out of here before anything bad happens. But here, let's look at what Jesus says. We'll pick it up in verse 27. He says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. That's parousia, same word. He goes, here's what it's going to look like when I come. He goes, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. That's just a simple way for him to say, and all these signs are going to show you that it's the time. Wherever there's a carcass, there's those eagles. There's those animals eating on it. He goes, whenever you see these signs, it's telling you that the time is on it. The time is now. And so he goes, here's what it's going to be like with the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be uh, lightning flashing from the east to the west. And then look at verse 29. Here he goes. He's going to explain the coming immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sign of the son of man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming "...on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. He will gather the elect, this word from the four winds, it's talking about from the four directions." From one end of heaven to the other, he will gather believers. The angels will gather them in the air. As the Lord is coming, angels are gathering believers in the air. Again, Jesus putting the exact same things together that Paul put. Believers dead in Christ rise, those who are alive remain up in the air, Jesus coming, and here we have Jesus coming, and what do we have? Believers being gathered together to Jesus. At the coming of the Lord is this fascinating event, the rapture, but beloved, it happens after that last season of greatest tribulation that the earth will ever see. All right, two more passages, 1 Corinthians 15. Flip on over there. I'll go another 10 minutes, and then we'll transition into a time of questions and answers. I told my wife to get a question ready just in case everybody was quiet. I love 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but but we shall all be changed. Oh, I love that. Not everybody's gonna die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, you need to underline that one, because we've gotten a trumpet in two of the three passages I've already showed you, but now what Paul's going to tell us is which trumpet. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He's clearly talking about the exact same thing he was talking about in First Thessalonians 4. The dead shall be raised, and we shall Shall be changed. Those who are alive and remain shall be changed. I love this. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory o death where is your sting o hades where is your victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ hallelujah beloved you and i are going to be changed all of us are going to be changed. So a minute ago, when, we, when somebody in the back was like, Ooh, the dead body's getting out of the grave, like zombie apocalypse. No. When that dead body gets up out of the grave, it's going to get kissed with glory. That dead body is going to get kissed with glory. You and I are going to get a glorified body. Now, this is so amazing, so shocking, so fantastic. Fantastic. Not only does your body get resurrected, it gets kissed with glory. The glory of God is going to come on your body and transform you. I love how uh, John said it. He says, beloved, it hasn't been revealed what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we shall be like him. And there is a massive transformation coming to your physique. That's why I'm shooting for six foot and the six pack abs but we are gonna have glory permeating every fiber and every pore of our being. The capacities that you have for sight and sound, smell and taste and touch, they are all going to pin on 10. Everything that you're able to do is going to get a massive, massive upgrade. And the reason why is this, God wants you to be able to interface with this natural place and with heaven all in one reality. He's giving you a suit that enables you to do both. You remember when Jesus came back after the resurrection and he kind of just slipped through a wall and was in the midst? Beloved, you're going to get a body similar to his. I'm looking forward to that walking through wall thing. I'm looking forward to the flying thing. I'm looking forward to be able to stare at God and not melt thing. I'm looking forward to that. He wants us to interface with him without any veils. So we're going to get a resurrected and glorified body. Romans 8 says this, that we're on a crash course to being glorified. And you and I are going to be able to interface with the uncreated God, with nothing in the way. And this change, this incorruptible that you're going to put on is going to enable that. Well, that happens when the Lord raises the dead in Christ, and then we who are alive and remain are caught up, like 1 Thessalonians 4 says. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, he just says, We're gonna be changed. We're gonna put on immor- immortality, incorruptibility. But he says an interesting timing indicator in this passage at the last trumpet. Now, the other passages Paul was unpacking, he says, the trumpet of God will sound, but he didn't tell us which trumpet, but here he actually tells us, at the last trumpet. Now, how many of you know, in the book of Revelation, there are seven trumpets? How many of you know that? There are seven trumpets. Do you know that at the last trumpet in the book of Revelation, you can find this in Revelation chapter 10 and, verse, and chapter 11, do you know that at the last trumpet, this, this voice comes from heaven and says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Now, why would that shout be coming at the last trumpet? Because Jesus is returning at the last trumpet, just like what Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians 15. At the last trumpet. Now somebody would say, well, Paul, he didn't know that John was gonna see seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. i say, well, that, that's fair enough. Maybe, maybe he wouldn't have known that in his natural mind. But I do also know this about Paul, that Paul had heavenly encounters where he got stuff directly from the throne of God Stuff that he said he wasn't even able to explain. He wasn't allowed to unpack it. It's very easy for me to believe that the same Holy Spirit that took John on that wild ride in Revelation and showed him the wrapping up of this age, showed him the seals, trumpets, and bowls, that same Holy Spirit informed Paul that this change is going to happen at the last trumpet. It's very easy for me to believe that. That is not a stretch in the least. So Paul gives us in this passage, this really interesting point that we put on immortality and all this happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. All right. Last passage, Revelation 20. And then I want to pray. I want to pray for people in the room that you're, maybe you're like me years ago and you said, man, I don't, I I don't, it'll all pan out, but maybe you're feeling like, no, I want, I want to know this stuff. I want to get revelation on the word. I want to pray for the spirit of revelation to come on you, to study those 100, 150 chapters of the end times, understand what the scripture actually says about the return of the Lord, the end of this age and the age to come. All right, Revelation 20, last passage. In Revelation 19, we have the, kind of that epic, starting in verse 11, this Jesus riding this white horse. We see him in that second coming And and John is continuing to unpack the detail of it. And I want to read this from the New International Version just because I like how they treat the text better. They they make it really clear what it actually says. So now John is seeing in chapter 20 Satan being thrown into the bottomless pit. He's seeing... uh, that there's a 1,000 years that are going to ensue on the planet with Jesus ruling and reigning. And uh, he begins to see that there is going to be authority given to saints who lived in this age to rule and reign in the next age, that there's this continuity between the ages. And this is what he says in verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now he's talking about believers during that time of tribulation, just what Jesus talked about, when the whole world's going to hate Christians and put many to death, he's talking about people who said no to receiving the mark of the beast, who said no to the sway of this world system that did not capitulate their faith. They stood through it and it cost them their lives. That's what he's talking about. In verse five, he says, and, and, and I like how the NIV does this, it puts in parentheses, it says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended, talking about those that died at the same time as these believers died during the, during the great tribulation. He said the rest of those that died, they don't come to life till after the thousand years are ended. And then it says, this is the first resurrection. What is the first resurrection? The coming to life of those who were put to death under the reign of Antichrist. When those who are put to death under the reign of Antichrist, when they come to life, that's the first resurrection. Okay? Why is that important? That's important because when they come to life, it's the same time as 1 Thessalonians 4 when the dead in Christ come to life. 1 Corinthians 15 when those who have died come to life. How do I know it's the same time? Because it's the first resurrection. It's not one A. It's not one asterisk. It's the first one. What's my point? My point is this you have believers who followed Jesus, rejected the reign of Antichrist, they're put to death for it. When they come to life, John is told that's the first resurrection. There isn't a previous resurrection. There isn't another time when the dead come to life. So that time when these guys come to life has to be the same time when the ones that Paul talked about come to life in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, and 1 Corinthians 15. That resurrection is all the first resurrection. Am I making sense? And so there is no pre-prior resurrection Resurrection, pre-resurrection, secret resurrection, that's not in there. This is the first one. The scripture is very, very clear about this point. And that just gives us a, a clarifying mark that that first resurrection of the dead that have died in the tribulation, uh, uh, the ones that Paul talked about, the dead in Christ, the first Corinthians 15, those that are, that are raised incorruptible, that all happens at the same time at the first resurrection, also known as the catching up, also known as the rapture. All right, with that, I'm gonna conclude, and I wanna pray. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll go into a time of Q&A. But let's just do this. Uh, let's just stand for a minute. <clears throat> and if you'd just say, you know, maybe you'd say to me, I really want the Lord to give me revelation about the end times I want to study the scripture. I remember I was in a a meeting one time and I heard a guy preach on the end times and I thought, I don't know anything he's talking about. And they gave a call. They said, we want to pray for people to get revelation on the end of the age. And I remember I, I, I came forward and I didn't know what I expected. And I remember this little lady just came and put her hand on me. But after that time, I had such a hunger To get in the word, to study the end times. My wife could tell you I would stay up till two and three in the morning. I was reading everything I could get my hands on because I wanted to understand it. I didn't want to just leave it to someone else to explain it to me. And so, I want to pray for that same kind of zeal and that spirit of revelation to come on you. I don't have to put my hand on you, but I'm going to pray and ask the Lord. If you'd say, man, that's me, I really want that. I want the spirit of revelation, especially for the understanding of the end of the age. I want that to come on me. I want to know the times and the seasons to discern biblically what the Bible's saying about how this age is going to wrap up. I just want you to put your hand on your heart, and I want to pray for you right now because I believe the Lord's going to release revelation to so many in this hour. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking for the spirit of revelation, let it come on many, let it come on each person say, I am hungry for this. I pray for zeal and grace and desire to understand what the scripture says about how this age will wrap up and how the second coming will unfold, about how the age to come will, will, will happen, all the details of the coming of the kingdom and the return of the Lord. I'm praying for revelation to come on people right now that you'd release them as messengers, not just platform preachers, but, God, ones that will teach and, and, and train and, and share and, and all sorts of online formats and, and all sorts of small groups and all sorts of different ways to, to speak the word, God. Let us see that these, this truth of the end of the age, it's got to go far and wide. There will be many who will instruct many in righteousness before this thing is done. God, put a tremble in our heart. And call us into this, that we would study to show ourselves approved, we would understand the times and the seasons, and we'd have revelation, the end of the age, and the coming of the kingdom. We give you thanks for it, in the name of Jesus, and everybody that agreed with that said, amen, amen, amen and amen. All right, you may be
1: seated. Okay, you may be seated. With uh, Aisha and Chad, come here real quick. Aisha and Chad, they're going to be our
2: runners. And how we're going to do this, hopefully you have some questions answered. If not, Mary Beth has several ready.
3: There we go. So what we're going to do is um, wait till the mic is in front of you, and you can ask your question over the mic. Somebody's going to bring it to you, so we can get an um, accurate um, recording. So the question can be to Billy or Stephen. Just ask the question, and they can decide
0: which one gets to answer it. So one there. All right. See so hand right there. Right there. We want to go from the far back to the far front. We got to get these guys their steps in tonight. It doesn't have to be about the end times, but it is helpful if we stay kind of, you know, a little close to it.
4: Is it a question and a comment? Okay. okay? First comment. Um, I don't know if you bear witness. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, Sometimes, I was just told this like last week in my spirit, be careful that we only think about the return because we may forget to do the things that we're supposed to do to bring people ready for the return, just an idea, just an idea. And the question is, um, in your studies, have you come across uh, what I feel like I've come across before that says pray that something happens before so that we are taken before the tribulation? It seems like there's a, a verse that I've come across that says pray that you will be taken before the tribulation. So is that like optional for us to do?
0: Right. So I think you're referencing, I want to say it's the last verse of Luke 21. Does that sound right to you? Um, that I think it's pray that you may be kind worthy to escape all these things. Is that the phrase you're thinking? Is it like Luke 21, 36? I should maybe have my Bible open.
3: Yeah, it's yeah so you're just quoting
0: Luke 21, 36. Um, Yeah, and I I appreciate that idea. What I think Jesus is saying in context is the idea of escaping it via his protection versus escaping it via his extraction, which when you look at the whole biblical narrative, when you look at like Revelation 3.10, I'm just throwing a verse out there that you may be familiar with, keep you from the hour of testing. The idea is he protects us within the sphere of the tribulation, versus extracting us fully from it. The most clear biblical example would be um, it would be Israel in in Egypt when the ten plagues are falling, God's judgments are falling. None of them are hitting Israel; they are actually still in Egypt but they are protected in Goshen, and I believe that Luke 21, 36, Revelation three ten, several of the verses, they give us indication that there are going to be these areas of heavenly influence where God is going to protect believers inside of the sphere of the judgments of God falling, the, the, the rage of Satan falling. So I think that's what Luke twenty one thirty six is referring to. Did you want to add to that? Yeah,
3: I just add, I want to read a short passage. John 17, I'll start in 14. Uh, it says, I have given them your word. Jesus is praying to the father about his disciples. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so that's the idea of what he's, he's talking about. And he's talking about all the dissipation uh, that's going on at the time. And he goes, protect them in the midst of all of this terribleness that's going on, that, that they would be able to escape the corruption that's coming upon the world. Uh, but he's not asking the Father to take them out of it, but that they would persevere through it and endure through it.
0: And that give that passage... Seventeen
3: fifteen, John
0: yeah John 17 15 and that's the same exact uh two words keep you from the hour of testing from Revelation 3 10 that many people quote they say Revelation 3 10 promises us he's going to keep us from the hour of testing it's the exact same two uh Greek words that same verb form and it's keep you from it in the midst of it in other words protect you in the midst of it. Okay, who's our microphone? Olympians. Yeah, no, it is a good thing. I'm thankful for that myself.
5: Thank you for taking this question. Of course. Uh, Your zeal for the word is apparent. So when you were referencing the um, the thousand year reign of the martyrs during the time of um, the reign of the anti yes mm-hmm. tribulation reign of the antichrist uh, are all who have died in the name of Jesus previously as a martyr sense like post resurrection or is it just during that time of tribulation and reign of antichrist. Mm-hmm.
3: Right, so, so it can be confusing when you uh, look at Revelation 20. Um, it can make you think, if you read it real quickly, you can think, hey, if I want to be alive during the millennial kingdom, during that millennial reign of Jesus, then I have to get my head chopped off under Antichrist. And that's kind of the question, right? But that's what it, if you read it quickly, that's what it can look like. But you have to realize that, that what he's doing is, is he's actually already referenced a huge um, portion of, of the um, population, Uh, he he says, uh, I saw seated on the thrones those who had been given authority to judge. And then he gives a subset of that group. Then I saw. Then I saw, um, which is those who've been martyred under Antichrist. Okay, so you don't actually even have to be martyred to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. You have to be one of those given authority to judge. And Paul tells us real clearly, he goes, do you not know that we will judge the... Uh, We will judge angels, even. So he's talking about the ones given authority to judge is all believers. So who rules and reigns with Jesus during that thousand years? It's all believers. And we know that because he's talking about the first resurrection, right? And Billy just made it clear in in his teaching that the first resurrection happens at the rapture and the second coming, right? That's when that happens. So every believer who's first, the dead will rise, and then the living will rise and will be changed. All of those... So all believers get to rule and reign with him for a 1,000 years. Does that clarify?
6: Great. Oh, wow. Um, I'm scared of this one. (laughs) Um, Why this, like, what does Satan's number stand for?
0: (laughs) What does Satan's number stand for? Yeah. See, just starting at the low end of the pool right there, aren't you? From the shallows. So uh, she's referring to Revelation 13, uh, the number of the beast. Um, it's interesting because it says um, it has th- kind of three applications. Um, and so uh, it says, here's wisdom. Uh, it's Revelation thirteen eighteen. Let him as understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man; his number is six, six, six. But when it's talking about the mark, it says the mark. Help me, Stephen. When it says it's the name, the number of the name, and it has three applications to it. Image. You don't know what I'm talking about.
3: I would have said the first two. You just named and yeah, forgot the, the third one, though. So anyway, I'm not helping you.
0: We don't get specific clarity about what it actually means, but it's something about this man's name. It's something about the, the numbers connect to his name, but at the end of the day, it's a signification that you're saying that you're worshiping that man, and so it's not, you know, some people, they, well, Ronald something, was his middle name? <laughs> Ronald something Reagan. There's six in Ronald. There's six in his middle name, six in, <laughs> six, 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 and it's not that. I remember one time we had somebody, and if you're here tonight, God bless you, but I don't think you are, but we had these panels in the back of the prayer room and they had, we didn't realize it, we made them out of six boards each. They said, your panels are 666. No, they're not. They're wooden panels. Um, and so people get freaked out about 666, and, and if you get like 666 on your receipt, don't be like, ah, the devil's in my Cheetos. That's not how it goes. But it's a, it's a sign, a signification that's, that identifies you with that man. I'm sure in that day it will actually have a lot more detail to it. I, I've seen uh, guys explain how this could have an Arabic something to it. It could have a bunch of different, you know, applications to it. But uh, the one verse that says it's his name, the number of his name, and maybe it's the mark, his name, and the number of his name. and um, And so that is what we get with it we don't get much more than that so i'm not going to add more than that but that's a great question yeah. Really smart
3: one. I would, I would say a couple things. One, um, you'll, you're, you'll hear people say, and, and I agree with this idea, that there is the idea that three would be the number of the Trinity, the number of God, and six being the number of man, because man was made on the sixth day. So it's kind of this declaration, man is God, exalting a man over God, saying man, man is God. But there's, I think that there's going to be way more to it yeah. than we can see now. And that's, that's what, what your dad was saying, <laughs> is that, that in that day we're going to look and it's really going to confirm that this is the guy, rather than being a predictor of, oh, we know this is the guy in advance.
0: The passage I'm trying to quote is Revelation 15.2. It says, those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. It's the beast, his image, his mark, and the number of his name. So somehow all those things are kind of brought together with 666, if, if that's exactly what it is, Okay.
5: and question thing. uh, Comment first regarding the mark of the beast. I think there's an interesting correlation. There's two places in scripture where it talks about the forehead and the hand. First place is in Deuteronomy 6 where it talks about those who come into agreement with the law of God that that agreement would be a mark on their forehead and their hand. And then the next place we see that is the acceptance of the mark of the beast, which would be on the forehead and the hand. So those seem to work in antithesis to each other, one being uh, acceptance with the law of God and one being the whole rejection of the law of God. Maybe not something that's just a physical you know, point on your body. Um, so the question, maybe labels aren't that important, but just so that we have a better understanding of the whole of your eschatology. It sounds like you are pre-wrath.
0: Um, yes, yeah, so pre-wrath, that position would put the rapture at the um, sixth seal. Um, I, you know, and I, and I think there's a lot of good things that pre-wrath position offers. Um, we definitely believe that believers are not subject to the wrath of God, uh, but we would see the rapture happening at the last trumpet, which um, is probably more of a historical premillennial position or post-tribulational premillennial position.
3: Okay. And I, I would make a comment about uh, what you, you said about the mark on the, the forehead and the hand. Um, there's there's actually two marks that are that are referenced in the book of Revelation. You've either got the mark of the beast on the, on the forehead, or you've got the seal of God on seal the forehead. God. And the seal of God is, is talking about salvation being marked with the, the Holy Spirit. So there is, there's an, a juxtaposition of those two things. But I think there, that doesn't mean there's no literal mark yeah. um, that you have to receive. Because it's real clear, like, do not, there's instruction, do not take this mark. And it's, it's pretty, it's, it's real clear in the book, when you read the book of Revelation, that there is an actual process that the person goes through to receive
7: that mark. So um, I um, just one first part. I do have a question. I do want to ask either of you, like afterwards. that doesn't have to do with Revelations. That I've always wanted to ask about the Bible, but doesn't have to technically do with Revelations. I'm sure well, Stephen
0: ask, has the answer for you.
7: <laughs> I'll ask you guys afterwards. But there is, um, I did take the Revelations class that you guys had uh, last year, and it was for me like a turning point in my view. You know, I, I grew up in the church, but it was mm. so detailed, and it it. I'm not saying I only imagine heaven being like us all sing and worship forever. (laughs) I'm not saying I thought that. But to to really know that once everything is said and done and the kingdom of heaven is hovering above, above the earth and everything is done. I mean, everything is done. The resurrection, everything is done. And then we have... A relationship with you know God, we can go to and f- forth through the <coughs> kingdom of heaven and so forth, and we're going to have jobs afterwards. That just it was just a wonderful thing to imagine. My question is because I was thinking about that, and sometimes I think about that, and it gives me great joy of just you know being to interact with you know it's a, they're saying you'll see people from your life before that you've recognized before, you'll remember people, you'll you'll you know know things, you'll have jobs, different things like that. I wanted to ask like, would there be Since everything is done, everyone's thrown in a lake of fire, the devil has been overcome, is there not going to be in this other time period where it's like it's the new earth, it's this earth restored, it's a whole nother time period? I mean, you guys might not know this, but is there going to be any type of conflict or any type of anything with us having our jobs and we can now talk to Jesus and he's here with us all the time and we can see our old friends and we can see our old family members and we can go to and forth and we can interact with the angels and different things like that? I just wondered if there's any kind of like... I just imagine like Star Trek. I don't know why I just imagine Star Trek. It's really weird. But is there any gonna be like any conflict or is it just gonna be everyone's great with everyone and it's gonna be great and everything's good? And, yeah,
0: yeah, so and for those that aren't completely following the question, she's talking about the thousand years where Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth and um, you know, sin is gonna be in check. The glory of God is gonna be covering the earth as the waters cover the sea and, and so the specific thing you're saying is, is there going to be any conflict during that time? And yeah. is it just going to be... I mean,
7: even after that time. Yeah. Even after that time when everything is done, even the thousand years is So w-
0: what we have is we have indication uh, from the book of Zechariah and Zechariah 14 that sin will actually be punished. So we see that Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14, that it appears that there will be a punishment for sin in the age to come, how that looks is not completely clear, but Zechariah 14 specifically identifies that annually the nations of the earth will come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, right? And that the nations that don't come or don't send a representation, I think is probably what they're talking about, that they will actually experience drought on those nations. So that gives us indication that potentially in the next age, there will be, um, there can be maybe toward the end of that thousand years, a time where some of the nations aren't actually engaging in, in worshiping Jesus. And then Revelation 20, those passages that I just quoted, um, it actually says right there in that context, those first six verses, that after the thousand years is up, that Satan will be released from the bottomless pit for a season, and he will go out to deceive the nations. And so there will be another time of conflict that's led by Satan, led led by Lucifer, and it will bring turmoil on the earth. We don't have a ton of detail about that that last time of conflict, um, except for to say this, that it's ended with fire coming down from heaven, destroying uh, Satan, destroying the company of people that he's deceived, there will be real people, that he does deceive now, anybody that gets born again in this age you 're in a glorified body you 're not subject to deception, but there will be real people on the earth in the next age that will be born in natural bodies. they will all have to get born again, okay for a thousand years they have to say yes to Jesus when satan 's released after that thousand years, he will have the ability to deceive people to call them away from worshiping Jesus. This is what what that scripture is talking about, and that group there will be a group that is deceived they will go and make war on. On Jerusalem, and and fire will devour them. So you can read all about it in Revelation 20 and 21.
3: So if if I I, I, if I'm understanding your correct question correctly, though, you're saying after that age,
7: after right in in the
3: eternal age, then you're saying will there be conflict? We may not
7: know this exactly. And right, so so
3: we have Revelation 21:4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He says, I'm making everything new. God the Father is dwelling, God the Son dwelling on the planet, all dwelling on the earth with us, um, and everything's new. There's a new order of things. The old order of things has passed away. What that new order of things looks like, we don't know, but we do know it doesn't have pain, crying, and, and those things. So that's as much information as we really have.
0: Yeah. I, I just, I want to throw you a verse, Ezekiel 9. Have you looked at Ezekiel 9 regarding Mark's? Check it out. Yeah. Oh, we're in the back, okay. <laughs>
6: um, so it's like talks about when like um, heaven comes back to earth, how like the first will be last and the last will be first. Um, will everybody like, I guess in their role, like be content with what they like have and um, like how exactly do you get your position? Is it like how, much you give to God in your earthly life, or like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, know, I, I, know what you're, I, I know what you're asking. As amazing as that might sound, I actually know what that question was.
1: <laughs>
0: so you're asking, in the millennium, how do you get your job from the Lord? How do you know what you're going to do? And what is the way that this age, the way you live in this age, how it impacts what happens to you in the next age, correct? Correct. And then you threw in the verse, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, right? And you're asking, does that is that applying to what we step into in the next age? Am I saying it right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're on exactly the right track. How we live in this age. Now, this is a huge point, and this isn't something to... This is a huge point. How we live in this age has legitimate continuity to what we are living like in the next age. And our our challenge is that so much of our mentality of when the Lord returns is, you sort of get this picture in your mind that we're just gonna turn into like fat babies floating on clouds, wearing togas, or something, playing harps. You know, we all die, we all go to heaven. And, 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 And that is just, it's cartoons, but it's not Bible. Heaven is coming to earth. Jesus Christ is coming to rule and reign. The saints from this age, we will, we will be caught up in there to meet the Lord, and then we will be with the Lord in his coming to the earth. And, and then the Lord will begin to institute his kingdom, his culture, his values across every nation and every government all over the entire earth. And so he, he literally says, like the meek shall inherit the earth. And what we don't realize is How we live in this age in meekness, in faithfulness, in humility, in love, that impacts how we will have what standing we will have in the kingdom in the age to come. It doesn't impact our salvation. If you get saved, you say yes to Jesus, his blood, his lordship, you're born again, but there is definitely reward based on our works. And so, what you're describing is the the last shall be first, the meek of this age stepping into uh, a role of perhaps authority in the next age. And when you read Jesus in in his parables, and he talks about, you know, those that were faithful in least inherit seven cities, uh, like the parable of the minas in Luke, he's actually he's actually drawing a parable out that's gonna play out in reality in the age to come, like he's, he's actually pointing to a real thing, and so yeah, how we live in this age, our faithfulness, our humility, our love, so many of these things, our fasting, our prayer life, all these things, they impact the way our obedience, the way that we will you know, serve the Lord in the kingdom in the next age, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right with that, you wanna add something?
3: Yeah, and then the other part of your question was, will everybody be content with the position that they end up in? And so uh, in Revelation 19, when Jesus is returning, it, it describes him and it says, with justice he judges, with justice he judges. And then in Revelation 15, you see these who've come out of the Great Tribulation, and they're singing this song, and you would think if these people have just come out of the Great Tribulation where they've seen their friends dying in all these various situations, they've seen plague, pestilence, War, uh, tragedies, all of these things, you, you might think they'd get before the throne and, and they'd sing, what the heck is going on, God? <sighs> but they don't. They sing great and marvelous are your work. Just and true are all your ways. Just and true are all your ways. So, so in the age to come, there will be this acknowledgement of the absolute justice of God in the way that he's given us the position that he's given us. But I believe on the front end, there will be a sense of mourning for many when it says he will wipe the tear from every eye. You know, we, we kind of think as, as, as soon as, as we're with him, then there's no sense of sadness. But Jesus actually said to keep watch. And he says, because I'm coming as a thief. Now, that's kind of a strange imagery for Jesus, right? Have you ever stopped to think about that? No, Satan's the thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? The fact that Jesus described himself as coming as a thief should make us stop and go, wait, what does that mean? The point is keep watch so that you will not suffer loss when Jesus returns. I'm coming like a thief, and if you're not keeping watch and you're not living a life that's, that's glorifying the Lord, you're actually going to suffer loss at that day. And that's what we're told real, real clearly that everything's gonna be t- tested as by fire. Those who've built, their, built on the foundation of Jesus, these guys are saved, but some people build with wood, hay, and stubble and it all goes up in smoke. Some people build with gold and costly jewels and it, and it endures through the fire and they get in, eternal rewards as a result of that. But most of us are somewhere in between. Most of us are somewhere in between and some stuff it's going to go up in smoke and we're going to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I wasted my life on that. So, it's, so I believe that everybody's going to be completely convinced that the position that I have in the age to come is absolutely just yeah. and I am so thankful just to be here. Mm. And yet at that moment of judgment, there will be that sense of, wow, I could have done it differently and I could have had so much more. And so we want to live every day in light of that day, knowing that if we build with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to go up in smoke. But knowing if we'll build with gold and costly jewels, it will endure into the ages to come.
0: That First Corinthians 3 passage he's quoting about the judgment seat where it says, everything will be tried by fire. And then it says, some will be saved as through fire. They will be saved Yet they will suffer loss. That phrase, suffer loss which is just an intense phrase to think about. You've just gotten saved from eternal retribution, but you're suffering loss as you're entering into the next age, so intense.
1: Um, Yes, is there any connection, and I have heard this referred to as the first resurrection uh, in the passage in Matthew 27:52 and 53, when Jesus died on the cross, the bodies of many saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming forth from their tombs after His resurrection. They entered the holy city Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Is that a foreshadowing of this quote first resurrection? Uh, Is there to be a connection between the two? Because when I think of the first resurrection, apart from who Jesus raised from the dead that we have, you know, witness of in in, uh, the Gospels, I think about those saints that were raised or came out of the grave.
0: Yeah, I I thank you. I love that passage. I do,
1: too. That's why I'm asking the connection.
0: uh, (laughs) And I would just say I love it because of the cool factor on the passage. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I love it because I have tons of revelation on it, but just, list, just reading it and thinking about that idea that graves were opened, Old Testament saints are walking around the city, and people are actually seeing them. Um, so I connect that to what Ephesians 4 talks about when it says he led captivity captive. Uh, so at his resurrection, uh, the, the Old Testament saints all going with Jesus to, to, the, to the throne, to the Father. Um, I put those together, and I think, as you said, you said, is it a foreshadowing? I think that is actually, yeah, very, very accurate. I think it speaks of that first resurrection of redeemed saints in this age all going up in the rapture, the dead in Christ, and then those that are alive and remain. I don't know if you want to add anything to that one yeah that, that matthew twenty seven though you just you you gotta kind of read that one and just go What and then read it again and just go like Whoa and then read it again and like Oh no, what i mean it's just i love that passage
6: um okay i <laughs> this is
0: like sleight of hand <laughs>
6: What are the other biblical prophecies that need to take place before Jesus returns like the gospel going forth and the other things you mentioned in 2 Thessalonians?
0: Say it again, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch
6: you. What it. are the other biblical prophecies that need to take place before Jesus returns like the gospel going forth to the end of the earth? Yeah. And such.
0: Yeah, so those you've just you're referencing the two that I said, 2 Thessalonians 2. We know we have the apostasy has to happen. We have the uh, abomination of desolation, with Antichrist being revealed, has to happen, and we have the gospel going forth to the ends of of the earth. Those three uh, are are the three that I point to. I don't know if you want to add to those three.
3: Well, there's actually probably a ton, and as you study the scripture, you'll you'll come across them. Like there's things that has have to happen with Antichrist. Um, so there's there's lots and lots of things, probably too many to talk about. But but those the ones that are that Paul points to is these are indicators, these are how you can know, um, those would be there. And then of course, the signs that Jesus talked about as the beginning of birth pangs, those things all have to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's just countless things that do. And, and a key point though, is that when Paul points to those two things, he's saying uh, the rapture and second coming cannot happen until these two things happen. He's saying it real clearly which one of the, the centerpieces of a pre-tribulational uh, rapture doctrine is that it's imminent, that the rapture could happen any moment. And you'll hear that when you hear rapture teaching, you know, oh, we're going to be out of here. You better get ready because you could like, like you might wake up tomorrow and just your spouse's clothing is there and they're gone and you missed it, right? Because it could happen any time. But clearly that is not scriptural because Paul made it real clear. No, it can't happen until the falling away. Uh, so the apostasy And the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's the revealing of Antichrist. It can't happen until those things happen.
0: The the Acts 2 passage that's quoting Joel 2, I mean, the sun will be turned to blood. You know, all those call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Signs in the heavens, wonders in the earth, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. Those are all indicators or things that are going to happen that we actually see play out in the book of Revelation before the day of the Lord.
3: Yeah, so seals and trumpets, all those events have to take
0: place. The rebuilding of the temple, yeah, there's so many things. But when I'm teaching it, I use those exact three. So you're, you got three good ones. Those are good ones.
6: <clears throat> I have three questions. What will it look like? Why when are you the giving us all the smart happens? people asking all these hard questions? <laughs> what will it look like when the rapture happens? What will will the angels
5: be singing till, during the rapture? Will there be two resurrections?
0: Okay, well, what will it look like when the rapture happens? Will the angels be singing? I love that. Singing or seen? Singing.
3: singing. Singing,
0: okay. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say yes to that. <laughs> Not because I'm for sure on it, but I think so. That sounds right. We know the voice of the archangel is going to be heard. So it says a shout and the voice of an archangel. So at the least we get an angel shout but I, I I don't see why they wouldn't all kind of sing with that. I mean, it sounds like a good idea, at least. So my opinion, maybe. Um what will it look like? Well, there's the dynamics of the rapture are are actually really fantastic. Um Psalm 19 says that like the the sun circles the earth, or the earth or circles the sun, I should say so is the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And so when you think about all the saints, all the angels, there's fire in the sky, there's glory in the sky. And the Bible tells us Revelation 1-7 says, every eye, that's every person's eye, will see him when he comes. And then the Psalm 19 it indicates he's gonna be seen all over just like the sun would be seen. You, you have an entire procession of Jesus in the sky with fire, with angels, with glory, all happening, and that all happens before he lands on the earth. That's just all in the air. In Matthew 24, he says the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and that, what is that sign? That's all of that saints and angels and fire and glory when the Lord's coming with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. It's going to be awesome and powerful and glorious. Fantastic. So yeah, that, I mean, and that's, I'm doing it no justice. It's going to be a thousand times better than what I just said. And that'll all be in the air. Okay, so that'll be happening at the rapture. I, I'm going to go on record and say I think they're singing. What was the third one?
5: Will there be two resurrections.
0: I'll flip you that one because <laughs> you're going to have to go late.
3: Yes, so so, just real quick, uh, it, it says right there in the passage that you're referencing in Revelation 20, this is the first resurrection. Right before it says that, there's a, a parenthesis, a side note, where he says the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years are over. So the unrighteous dead don't come alive at during the rapture. So during the rapture, the Dead in Christ rise it's real clear the dead in Christ rise, but the dead apart from Christ do not rise at that point they they arise After the thousand years are over and then there's a judgment of those unrighteous dead So yes, there is a second resurrection
0: second resurrection right before it's called the great white throne judgment Great question. Those are credit <laughs> questions This group over here on my left has a lot of zeal. These two. There's lots of zeal coming over here. Right over here. Give these two. They are really fighting for your attention. Hello. Hi. um, I was rooting for you. Thank you. That whole time. You're like,
6: come on. I really appreciate that. I have two questions. You're kind of wordy. For those who don't receive the mark of the beast, do they all die? Like, how do you survive during that time? Is it like, God providing for them like the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, and the second one is, what is the deal with the beasts? Like there's two beasts and the exchange of one beast to the other and the power. Um, and the lady that sits on the second beast, what is what is that about?
0: Yeah, good. So we'll be here till about 1 a.m. <laughs> Just rolling through all the details of the Babylonian harlot. Um, Give me the first one again. <laughs>
6: um, for those who don't take yeah. the mark of the beast, um, yeah. do they Good. all die?
0: So you have two groups that don't take the mark of the beast, okay? Believers. And then you have this group that we call resistors. And the resistors, they aren't saying yes to Jesus, but they're not saying yes to Antichrist either, okay? So the group that doesn't take the mark that are believers. Uh, There's all sorts of things. There's some that will receive supernatural provision and supernatural protection. There are some that will lay down their lives in martyrdom. Uh, I think there's going to be a a whole spectrum of experiences from some that have dramatic encounters of suffering to those who have dramatic encounters of deliverance. And, And what we have explained to us is that through fire... Our faith is purified and, 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 and made, you know, beautiful. And so uh, the Lord doesn't mind using pressing trial tribulation to cause the bride to, to be beautified in and white. And, and so, you know, that's a really unpopular thought in America. In America, we're like, did you just turn the air conditioning down two notches? Because it is hot in here, or cold, too cold in here, or whatever. We're like, we offend, we get offended over the least little thing. And the Lord goes, I am actually going to break your hand off of everything that you have in it that's not for me. He has no problem doing that. And so that's the reasoning for the Lord allowing believers to go through the pressure. It's a purifying uh, Daniel, uh, oh, I got it wrong the other day. It's Daniel 8, right? I don't know what you're no, Daniel 11. Daniel 11 says, Many will be made righteous through the pres- pressings. Daniel 8 is the one that says the wickedness will come to the highest level, but the righteousness of the saints will come through pressures and trials. And, and so, then right
3: in Daniel 12, he goes, many will be purified and made, made spotless yeah. it, through,
0: through the whole process. And, and so that, that's what's going on with, with saints. There's a spectrum. Some will experience dramatic deliverance. Some will experience dramatic suffering. There's a spectrum there. Some, many will be martyred. Like That's just real stuff. In, in America, that's so foreign to our ears. The saints throughout the ages in so many parts of the, other, other parts of the world, even right now in other parts of the earth, that's normal. And so, uh, yeah. Can, res- I just,
3: can I throw in real, real yeah. quick? And that shouldn't surprise
0: us if we
3: read uh, the Bible, slow, the New Testament slowly, and think about it for a moment. Sometimes the apostles are thrown into prison and the angel shows up before anything bad happens, before anything painful happens. Sometimes they're beaten and then they get out, <laughs> yeah. right? Not just naturally, not even supernaturally. And then sometimes they're martyred. The one guy gets the angel come, the other guy gets martyred. And there's the whole mix in there. And we go, God, I don't get it. And he goes, yeah, you're not going to get it right now, but it'll make sense later.
6: I guess I'm asking, would it be more intense than it already is now? Like, I know that's kind of true. Would what
0: be more intense?
6: The persecution, like the weight of trial and pressing.
0: Yes, it's going to get far, far, far more intense. Yeah, I mean, the, the... You know, what Jesus said is the worst time of tribulation the earth has ever seen. You'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. What's going to be codified into law is putting to death Christians. Because by virtue of saying yes to Jesus, you have to say no to Antichrist. Well, saying no to Antichrist will be under the threat of death. Not just can you get your money, but you're not allowed to live. And so very, very similar to what our brothers and sisters in North Korea are going through right now. If you say no to worshiping, you know, uh, the emperor, you're in jail or put to death or in jail and then put to death. So yeah, it's gonna get far, far worse. The pressure will be far, far more intense. I know I didn't touch the, the, the Revelation 17, you're quoting is the Babylonian harlot. That is like such a big question, but I'll just give it to you. I'll give you a real quick one. That woman represents the sway of the spirit of the age that will ultimately bring forth Antichrist. That's, I mean, just the most succinct way I could say that. And then it's real clear that the two beasts are Antichrist and the false prophet. Yes. Yeah, so he will have a main guy that's doing signs, wonders, and miracles in his name. And then that guy will have many false guys under him.
3: Yeah, and I'll just say this about the the false prophet, because we we may not stop and think about this so much. Like, like why do I need to be prepared? Why do I need to think about this? It's real clear. If you take the mark of the beast, it's lake of fire forever and ever. It's really, really clear. And you go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't take the mark of the beast. But then you think about, okay, I can't buy any food for my family if I don't take this mark. And then on top of that... There's this guy, the false prophet, who's pointing to Antichrist saying he's God, and what he's able to do is call down fire from heaven. Now, what does that sound like? Elijah the prophet, right? Elijah the prophet goes, let me prove that I'm from the real God. And how does he prove it? He calls down fire from heaven. What will it be like when there's a guy who can literally do what Elijah did and he's telling Christians who aren't prepared in any way, shape, or form, this guy's God, you should worship him, he actually died and came back to life, that's another note, right? He died, came back to life, let me prove that he's God, I'm going to call down fire from heaven, and by the way, if you don't worship him, your family doesn't get to eat.
0: That's why we need to be prepared. But, and, and let me just give this. And I know it's super sober because whenever you talk about Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, it, people go what? But let's just let's just dial this into practical, real life. Right now in America, if I go online and say homosexuality is a sin, I am. I. I mean, I'm on. I get flamed. I got I, the the biggest blog I wrote was there's a coming LGBT revival. I, thousands and thousands of views on that blog, and a ton of the people are like, S- you're a hater, you're this and that. I mean, just, I, and I mean, that's a small little segment of people that saw that blog. About eight years ago, I wrote four blogs about a Christian perspective on homosexuality, wrote 10,000 words. I got hundreds of, hundreds of comments of people that were just telling me how you know vile of a human being I was just for giving the biblical perspective on homosexuality now it's 8 years later and it's so much worse and i watch christians just fold over this issue over the homosexual issue what we're about to talk about when we're talking about antichrist is so more so much more advanced And I'm watching Christians just clam up, shut their mouths, not say anything. You gotta be nice, you gotta love. And I agree, we've gotta love, we've gotta be nice. We've gotta be bold witnesses of truth and call the deal what it is. If it's sin, we call it sin. We call people to righteousness through Christ, and we do not compromise. And the fact that we will be unyielding and uncompromising on, on issues like, you know homosexuality, that is a small step compared to, at the end of the age, when we're uncompromising about this person who's going to say he's Jesus. And let me t- this one is we didn't even talk about, the issue is going to all center on the nation of Israel. He's a Jewish man. Jesus is a Jewish man who's coming back to rule the nations, and they are going to hate Jews. Antichrist is going to hate the Jews, going to be coming after Israel and coming after Christians. And so when you say, as a Christian, I'm going to sign up to stand with Israel, you have no idea about the pressure that's about to hit. And, And so I'm just saying that from a real practical, this is going to be real life. In a, in a half second, I don't know what the half second is. It could be fifty years, but I mean, it really is coming.
2: Hi, appreciate you guys doing this. Sure. Um, I haven't studied this anywhere close to what you guys have done. And you probably have I'm no, kind of no, it. No, no, I haven't. In fact, <laughs> sure. my son David and I were reading through this a few months ago, and we just kind of threw our hands up reading through Revelation. There's just so many things we can't tell the order of some of the events. Yeah. Um you're not the first person I've ever heard say that the rapture and second coming is the same, but I've never heard anybody explain it, so I appreciate that greatly. Up until tonight, if somebody had asked me, I would have said, well, I don't know, I'm guessing I'm a mid-trib, and I'm guessing there's a rapture and it's different than second coming, and the reason I would have said that is, I agree 100%, why would God take us out of suffering when that's one of the things that causes people to see God in us? Yeah. But I would have said mid-trib, and the reason, if you could help me out, I never knew what this first meant in Matthew 24, When Jesus is talking in verse 22, he says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And just because I've heard people say rapture and second coming are different, I would have said, oh, okay, that must be a rapture, you know, taking us away from some of the difficulty at least, and I I would have said that's a rapture severed in the second coming. So that's, my question is, what does that verse mean, if you know, and number two, I'm just curious if you have any inclination from scripture, if the rapture and second coming are the same thing, which I have no problem believing that. So we go up, we meet him, we do it about face, we go back to the earth with him. So we're reigning for a thousand years, so we're eternal beings at that point, but people are being born and are they dying during the thousand years? Whereas we continue to get to live if, if there's any light to be shed on that.
0: Yeah, so I'll answer your second question first. the The, the short answer is yes, people will, in natural bodies, Unbelievers at the time of Jesus coming, some will make it through not people with the mark, but people who have not taken the mark will make it through in natural bodies, and they will continue to propagate and they will repopulate the earth we 've got a good half dozen to a dozen scriptures that make that clear, and can have, we can do that another time, but yes, and those those people will live on the earth in natural bodies, but the earth will be transforming I mean it will be experiencing the glory of God in a way that 's way different. And so people's life expectancies will go longer, and we have the scripture in Isaiah that says if a guy dies at 100, he'll be considered to be accursed. That's talking about the age to come, because he died so young at 100 is the idea. Okay, back to uh, Matthew twenty four twenty one. Unless those days were shortened, uh, no flesh would have made it, but they were shortened for the sake of the elect. Um, so what we have, when we talk about the great tribulation, many people zero in on Daniel's 70th week, they say seven years but when you look at the book of Revelation, there is no reference to seven years. There's a reference to time, times, and half a time, which time is one year, times is two years, and then half a time. That gives us three and a half years. There's a reference to 1260 days. There's a couple references to that. That's also three and a half years. There's a reference to 42 months. Again, three and a half years. What you end up with is about a half a dozen references to a three and a half year time frame. And then when you see uh, in Revelation 13, this, this idea of these two beasts, the, the false prophet, uh, the beast from the land, the beast from the, from the water, uh, the false prophet being from the water, the antichrist being from the land, you, you see that they are given authority for that three and a half years, that time times and a half a time for that 42 months. My point in saying that is the only way Antichrist has authority is because it's been designated to him by heaven, okay? Heaven allows Antichrist to have three and a half years. That's it. And so when I read the Matthew 24, 21, the days were shortened. I think it's saying the boundaries of those days have been set as a very short period of time, And so in Revelation 12, when Satan is cast out of heaven, that is not talking about the original creation. It's talking about that three and a half year mark. He says he knows his time is very short. And so uh, I don't see that as a rapture. I see it as the boundaries that are set on the time that Satan has authority. If he was given more authority, he would figure out how to slay the entire population of humanity. But instead, because of the time being so short, he is not able to do that.
3: And on top of that, the seals and trumpets are those judgments are happening. So you've got what Satan's doing, but you also have judgment being released on the planet. And the idea is, if that were a 10-year period of time, nobody would, make, nobody it. would make it.
0: That's Daniel 9:27. Halfway through the seven-year period, that's again, three and a half years. Yeah, there appears there's a covenant that's made that appears to be seven years, and then you have a breaking of that covenant near the midpoint, and that gives us that three and a half year time frame that's emphasized over and over and over in the book of Revelation. Feel free to leave, we'll stay here a few more minutes, but bless you if you got to go.
4: Thank you, Pastor Bill, and uh, for the ministering of the word on this topic. Uh, You actually answered part of my question concerning the time, 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 and time and a half, the three and a half years. Is it fair to say that we are to watch uh, a leader that is reigning, probably even now, their course of service, whichever country, in that three, three and a half years? Is it fair to say that this leader Quote unquote is for the Christians, is for Jews, and then in the midst of that three and a half years, it's going to reveal his true nature, true nature, where he will be against the Christians and against the Jews, and where the second part of this question is, in your opinion, where do you see we are in the seven trumpets? Where, do you, your opinion, where do you think we are? Uh, the trumpet Fort trumpet that has been
0: yeah. um, so in regard to how would you know is this guy Antichrist or not so there's two kind of key passages nine uh, daniel nine twenty four through twenty seven which I mean we we have classes that we teach on those four passages uh, four verses, and then also Daniel eleven, which is a much broader look at him but the history of Daniel 11 kind of fills us in. But I'm giving you those two references just to give you some conclusions uh, so I can answer it succinctly. Um, What we think the Bible's teaching is that this guy is gonna be one of many who make a covenant that's gonna restore a peace in Israel. It's gonna allow for a rebuilt temple and that he is gonna be a little horn. Uh, You get that in Daniel 7, uh, that he's gonna be a minor player Uh, We see it in Daniel 8. He's going to be a minor player who is going to emerge into a major player. And so I don't think when we see that initial covenant of peace that's going to allow for a rebuilding of the temple that we're going to see him as the main guy. I think we're going to see him as a lesser guy. And then he's going to emerge uh, somewhere in that first three and a half years. So I'm just giving that as a a succinct answer to a big, broad question. Um, You asked, where do I think we are I don't think we've... So we have seals, trumpets, and bowls in the book of Revelation. They're numbered in order, in sequence. The seals happen first, the trumpets second, the bowls happen third. There's 21 total, seven of each. I don't think we've seen the first seal yet. I believe we're in what Jesus called the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pangs. The first seal is the emergence of Antichrist. I believe from the first seal to the seventh bowl that we're operating in about a 1290 day period about three and a half years
3: and so i yes so as far as identity of antichrist we can know for sure who he is once he sets himself up in the temple yeah right and declares himself to be god that's the guy for sure we'll have an inkling probably before that but at at this point i don't think anybody has a, a an inkling about it but for sure like once you see that a temple is being rebuilt in Jerusalem then that's the time to start watching right I'd and say the time to start watching is now <laughs> but I mean it's it's that's guessing who's who yeah, the guy yeah, is yeah, like because yeah. you'll hear like you've heard people throughout history oh it's this guy it's this guy it's this guy it's this guy but with the temple not even in place it clearly wasn't that guy I've got the mic here I guess <laughs> um, my uh, question is What caused the uh, pre-trib rapture theory to come out in the, I guess, 1800s? Until then, that was not the case. And part B, where are we in terms of a church, in terms of are we gonna be meeting able to do this? And if not meet here, is this why we're emphasizing house churches?
0: Oh, that's good. Uh, I, I'm going to reference a book by a guy named by the name of Dave McPherson. Dave McPherson. He's written uh, several books about the origin of the pre-tribulation rapture. Um, the one I'll throw your direction is called "The Rapture Plot," and he gives some he gives some indication as to how and why the uh, pre-trib rapture doctrine came about. Most people don't realize that. But the pre-trib rapture is not codified anywhere in church his- history till after 1830. It's a very new doctrine. It's not. It's it's not it's not at all in the church fathers. It's 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 just not there. Um, are we doing house churches to get ready for the great tribulation? Eh, I, I think house churches. Yes, that would be a great thing. That we probably would have to go into houses. But I think house churches provide us a way to walk out Christianity in community to serve, give, love, care, develop relationship that is just impossible to do in a larger setting. But I do think that the idea of house churches, underground churches, um, that idea has got to become normative for the church across the nations. In North Korea, there's an underground church network. That's That's a real legitimate thing. In Iran right now, there's a massive underground church network. In China, massive underground church network. This is normative for places that have a massive persecution on the gospel. So, yeah, I, I think house churches serve a variety of purposes, and that is definitely one of them. And the other thing that you see
3: with those, like in Iran, there's a massive revival going on yeah. like that you don't hear about in the media, but there's this massive revival going on through
0: those underground churches. I'm going to get you on the way home. You can ask me in the car on the way home. <laughs>
8: So in Matthew 24, it talks about, so after Jesus explains the signs of the coming of the end of the age, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these have things take place. So what did he mean by generation? Because obviously people who were alive then are no longer alive and the end of the age hasn't happened. And I have a second question actually. Um, from Revelation 20, 21, so we have the the millennial rain and then the great judgment and then the new Jerusalem and then my understanding is that the great judgment is where the lord goes through each person's life and takes a, there's like an accounting for all they did and that's where the um the treasures and whatever are put to the fire and all that stuff but how how does the lord assign people with their positions before the judgment of like, all their deeds and everything like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, this oh, generation... Oh, oh,
8: sorry, sorry. Um, also, will we continue to reign with Jesus in the new Jerusalem after that great judgment? Because my understanding is that it's only, like, believers who are left Sure. at that point, so who yeah. are we reigning we're, over? <laughs>
0: we're we're going to get you right here. All right. So, uh, this generation shall not pass away, referring to the generation that sees all those signs. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the generation that sees the signs that Jesus is enumerating, mm-hmm. that generation will not pass away until all the things that He said are going to happen come to pass. Now, a biblical generation can be anywhere from forty to eighty years. When you look at the way, because in, in the way you, the way we derive that is by looking at the genealogies. And and so then they'll count 14 generations here or 20 generations here. And you have to do the math on it a little bit and figure out how many years was that and then what's it actually utilizing. So this word generations isn't a distinct number, but it's anywhere between 40 and 80 years, biblically speaking. So the generation that sees all those signs that Jesus enumerates, specifically Matthew 24, 4 through uh, 8, then that that generation will not pass away until all the things, then they shall deliver you up to tribulation and all the rest come to pass, okay? Okay. So I think that's that's how we get, how that's gonna work out. And then great white throne judgment. Okay, so do you wanna do this? Go ahead. I, I was just talking a ton. Go ahead. No,
3: that's fine. Uh, so there's actually more than one judgment that's yeah. described in, in Scripture. So for sure there's the great white throne judgment. But remember, there was a, a resurrection, right, and there's ruling and reigning with Christ. Like, those those people have already been through a judgment to get to that spot, right? The resurrected saints, Jesus says, it says multiple, multiple times, his reward is with him when he comes. And the rewarding happens with judgment. That's like you don't get a reward until you've been judged, right? So there's a judging when he, when he returns. Uh, and then after, at the end of the, the thousand years, there's a judgment where the unrighteous dead come to life, and probably those who died during the millennium are also judged at the great white throne judgment, but there's previous judgment, and you get real clear in Matthew 25, you get the sheep and goats judgment happening there. So it's clear that there's more than one time of judgment. You only go through judgment once yourself, But there's different times that judgment takes place.
0: Multiple judgment events. Right. So after the great white throne happens, we enter into the eternal age. And yes, after that, everybody that's left are all redeemed and all glorified. And you had Adam and Eve
3: were basically ruling over the planet without other people under them, right? So I don't know all because we don't get to know. He says there's a whole new order of things. We don't know what that looks like. We're not given the details, but we know we'll be ruling and reigning beside him.
6: Um, I have a question in theory here. Um, so would you think that the younger generations, so like the high schoolers, early college students, that they would, basically they're being prepared through a lot of trial and testing with a lot of different things they experience compared to even like 22 to and up have experienced? Do you think that they would be like the key leaders to prepare the church for persecution since they experience it a lot?
0: I, I think we're going to see more and more persecution. We're going to see persecution heighten on the way to tribulation. We're going to also see the glory of God heighten, right? And so both of these are going to happen at the same time. Uh, there's going to be a group. Acts 2 is real clear. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, your sons and your daughters will be prophesying. And so there's gonna be a a group, a young generation that's gonna be moving in signs, wonders, and miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit in a level we've never seen before. And, And I think that, yes, the point you're making that as things get more difficult and people are experiencing what it means to stand through difficulty, that's going to enable them to stand in a in a day ahead. I think that's a dead-on-the-money point. And I would say, yes, in a day ahead, there's an outpouring coming where the sons and the daughters are going to be prophesying. They're going to be giving us the word of the Lord, and we need to be t- you know taking note of that, of that generation. There's another part to your question. I don't remember what was. Did, Did you catch it? it? I
3: thought that was it.
0: Uh, yeah, good. <laughs> if we hit it, praise God. <laughs>
6: Actually, I did have something to add. So I sorry. did it to myself. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so I'm actually, I'm called to be a doctor, and I'm curious if I'm going to be alive during tribulation, what would it look like for people in higher levels of connection and industry um, to experience not taking the the mark of the beast? Would they potentially basically die or be saved? You know, like, what do you Think if there's anything God has exposed about that. Um,
3: I think that when judgment events are being poured out on the planet, people are going to really want a doctor around. <laughs> So uh, so I wouldn't discourage you from being a doctor yeah, be based a doctor. on your understanding of eschatology. The Lord wants people in all different walks of life and you'll be called to to be a bold witness in the midst of whatever environment you're in, whether it's the highest levels of education or the, you know where you're around people uh, who've been through high levels of edu- education. And there might be a time where you actually have to go underground in order to survive, or maybe you just take a stand and you get martyred who knows exactly how it will play out, but but the Lord's not saying, "Hey, don't go into different spheres of of life because of this." Uh, he wants people in all those dis- different spheres to be witnesses for Absolutely.
5: him. Absolutely.
0: Okay, last one.
3: Okay. The last shall last, be first.
1: The last <laughs> shall be first. That's yes. Right. Um, in Revelation twenty two fourteen it, and fifteen. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of the city. 15 says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Mm -hmm. Who is that And and what happened to all those who were going to the lake of fire?
3: Go ahead. I would say those are the guys in the lake of fire. It's, it's a poetic description of if you don't have access, access to the throne room of God, <laughs> you are in the lake of fire. It's just a poetic description of that. Okay. Outside of the dogs, you get the, you know, the weeping and gnashing of teeth and all of that. Uh, those similar passages are all talking about the same, same thing, people who are designated, delegated to the, the lake of fire for eternity. Okay. God bless you. You're dismissed.